It's the Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. At first you feel the tremulous rumbling, then the faint smell of sulfur smoke. The spectral tracks appear in the mist, and the red light, like a demon's eye, cuts through the darkness. Screaming down the track, the transcontinental terror is making its nightmarish run. Welcome back. I can see the worry on your face. The fear is all too familiar. In the distance, the plume of smoke lights up the sky in a kind of darkness that drains all illumination. All hope from the land. The transcontinental tear is making its way down the line. Who am I? Men call me... The railroad hobo, and I warm my hands by the unending hellfire that burns here, beneath the trestle bridge that marks the final destruction of that cursed steamer. We wait for tonight's first stop at Blip by Crystal Camargo. Fox and My Shadow Productions presents Blip, written and produced by Crystal Camargo, starring Richard Garner and Tanya Milajevich. For her, the darkness was endless. She was falling, spiraling down further and further. Her thoughts swirled around her as though on a technicolor wheel. Where am I? How did I get here? Will I ever stop falling? As though in answer to her thoughts, she drifted gently to the ground. Her fingers clenched against the grass and she knew she didn't have the strength to stand. Her mind reeled as she tried to take in her surroundings, but there was only the ever-present consuming darkness. Hello? She tried to say, but she could not hear herself. There was a blip in the darkness, a bright, blue blip of light. She stumbled towards it frantically. She was afraid of the darkness. What happened to me? It blipped again. She could now tell the light was thick, bobbing up and down awkwardly. She pushed herself to go faster and faster until she bumped into something. The blue blip again. She could now see what she bumped into. A nose that was gushing blue blood. The light was not a light. It was the saliva of this thing. She backed away quickly. Stand up! Stand up! Come on! 
but her body was paralyzed with fear. All she could do was back away, her backside scraping across the grass. The nose ambled closer to her, and then an audible scream escaped her lips. There was a violet light in the distance, and she scrambled to get up, and then sprinted for the violet light. It dimmed and dissipated, but she continued running, not bothering to look behind her. She didn't want to know if it was still after her. She slammed into something, hard, wooden. It knocked the air out of her. The violet light came on again. There was a casket before her. Once again, she screamed her inaudible scream. In the casket lay a lump of gray matter. It was all torn to pieces. She retched in response and stumbled away. An orange light. She didn't want to know. A green light. She just wanted out. A red light. All these colors swirled around her. She didn't want to know the horrors anymore. Tears streamed down her face. Please let me out! As though in answer to her prayers, there was a bright white light in the distance. The exit! Yes! She sprinted for the white light. Her breathing was already heavy. It was as though the darkness was suffocating her. She wanted to be free. No. She needed to be free. The light blinked off, then on again. She managed to come to a stop in the middle of the light. She looked around for a door, a window, anything. She searched high and low, and there was not one exit. Finally, she looked at the table in the middle of the white light. A gun and a mirror. She walked up to it and stared in the mirror. Blood dripped from her nose. A series of blips came on before her life. The blipping lights flickered into words. Was it worth it? No. 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 With tears no. streaming down her face, she knew no. her only escape was death. She picked up the gun and put it right behind her ears and pulled the trigger for the billionth time. For her, the darkness was endless. She was falling, spiraling down further and further. Her thoughts swirled around her in a technicolor whirl. That first stop may just have been a blip on tonight's course, but beware of getting stuck in the swamp by Lightning Bolt Theater of the Mind from Tanya Malevich. Lightning Bolt Theater of the Mind presents The Swamp Written and post-produced by Tanya Mulevich Starring Tanya Mulevich as Rachel Amanda Furr as Alice and Richard Garner as Blake This radio drama falls under the non-commercial No Derivatives 3.0 United States Creative Commons license and is copyright 2011 to Lightning Bolt Theater of the Mind Listen responsibly Wake up. I have to get to the pine trees. I have to. 
they're safe. He's closer. Help me, somebody. But there's no one around. There never is. into that mud suffocate me. I can't move. No. Oh, please, no. I'm getting up right now. Good. Breakfast's ready. On the table. Of cereal this morning. Didn't have time to fry any cold cuts. Sounds good. Thanks, Mom. I have to get going to work. Have a good day at school, okay? And I'll see you this afternoon. Bye, Mom. Don't they say if you think you're dying in a dream, you actually die in real life? I mean, I thought I'd never wake up. Is that the time? I gotta get going right now. So make sure you study the equations for sine, cosine, and tangent. And study the graphs as well. You'll need all that for the midterm coming up this Friday. The test's on Friday? I've only been saying that for the past two weeks. If you had been paying a little bit more attention to my lectures, you would know that. Alright, now get to work on problem 58. We can go over your answers after that. Then I'll be giving you all a quiz on last night's homework. No grumbling. Get to work. Rachel. Huh? Can you show me your paper when you're done? I don't get this crap. Okay. No talking, please. Need I remind you? I mean, you're all supposed to be mature college adults, right? Um, sorry I'm late, Professor. I had a little trouble finding your class. It's not a problem, Blake. Find a seat, and get to work on this problem on the overhead. Sure. He's so cute. All the girls want to date him now. I've never seen him before. It's because he's new. This is his second day or something. He looks so mysterious. Tall and sexy. Hmm, I wouldn't mind dating him. <laughs> he probably already has a girlfriend. I'll fix that. Look how close to us he's sitting. That's because there's no other empty chairs in this room. Good way to press my happy bubble, all right? Sorry. I am not going to repeat myself again. Stop the talking. We aren't in high school anymore. Sorry, Professor. Alice? Huh? You're not copying Rachel's answers, are you? This is a quiz. What? What? No, no, Professor. I wouldn't do that. Let me take a look at your papers. But... Just as I thought. Alice, please step out into the hall for a second. I need to speak with you. But, Professor... I need to talk to you as well. I didn't! In the hallway, please, Alice. I didn't cheat. 
Rachel, Alice explained the whole situation to me. She copied from your paper. Naturally, she won't be returning to this class. You may move seats if you wish, or remain there. Let Alice's unfortunate choice be an example to the rest of you. a few answers for a quiz. I was about to graduate this year, too. I'm horrible at that, you know that. I wasn't even my major. Alice, you could have just asked me for tutoring sessions or something. Too late now. Then too deep. I'll stand up for you. I mean, we've always been there for each other. I won't let you down. Why did you stand up for me in class? Well, I... I mean... I have to go now. Okay, Alice. I'm sorry. Well, I'll... I'll, I'll see ya. Rachel? Come and help me with the dishes. Okay. How was work? Very busy today. I'm so tired. I think I'm coming down with something. I've been feeling dizzy and, and weak all day. You've been getting enough iron for the last few days, right? You know what Stop your doctor- Stop worrying about that. I'm fine. I had some chicken for lunch today. I just worry about you sometimes. Shouldn't that be my line? <laughs> You're too mature for your own good sometimes. Is there something bothering you, honey? No. Why? You just seem preoccupied. I'm fine. I forgot to pick up a few things at the grocery store last weekend. Need to drop by and grab some fruit and things. Do you really have to go now? I mean, it's really snowing out there. They said it's going to freeze in a half an hour. There you go worrying again. I'll be fine. I know how to drive, and I've been doing it for many years. But, Mom, why do you need the fruits and stuff now? I have to make that cake for tomorrow. It's for one of my co-workers... She's leaving the office, and her last day is tomorrow. Oh, I see. When's Dad coming back from that conference in Philadelphia? Last time I talked to him, he didn't know. This weekend, on Saturday evening, as a matter of fact. I miss him, too. I told him to get us some souvenirs. <laughs> so, you two aren't all pissed at each other over the divorce settlement anymore? No, Rach. Nothing to worry about. I hear your dad's very happy these days. Really? Why is that? He's getting married to a very nice lady, from what I understand. Oh, well, I guess that's good. How do you feel about it, Mom? <laughs> it's good that he's living his life. It's time we both moved on. We both love you, of course. That won't ever change. I know, but Dad's not really around. 
I know he hasn't been calling you lately, but he's he's looking forward to making it up to you. His his job's just crazy right now. He always seems to have some sort of excuse. I need to get going, but I'll be back in about half an hour. Do you have your phone, Mom? Yes, yes. Don't worry, honey. I love you. Be back soon. I love you too, Mom. Mom? Is this Rachel Gray? Um, yes. Who's this? This is Detective Menderson of the State Police Department. I'm afraid I have some bad news for you, ma'am. What? What do you mean? You are Mrs. Renee Gray's daughter, are you not? Yes, but what? I'm afraid there's been an accident involving your mother, Rachel. No! There can't have been! Please, no! I'm afraid there has. This is going to be difficult for me to say and for you to hear, Rachel, but I'm afraid your mother didn't make it. What? You can't mean that! No, she can't be! She isn't! How do you know that she's not just hurt? How do you know? Ms. She Gray, might be bleeding! Ray, you have to check! To calm down. We, we need you to cooperate. We need you to come down with us to the station. I'll be at your house in two minutes. I need you to come with me so that you can identify the body. Then we're going to ask just some questions about your mother, where she was going, what kind of driver she was, those kind of things. Is! Is! Use the present tense. She's not dead. You're all lying to me. My mother is not dead. Rachel, please, take it easy. Nobody's lying to you. Now, tell me... Is there anyone else who we can contact about this, that is, about the situation? My dad will give you his information when you get here. That's what we like to hear. Take it easy, kid. You'll get through this. (laughs) If only I could. Now, Rachel... We're going to film this interview with you just so we can revert back to it later for details in this investigation. I understand. How long did you say your mom had been feeling ill? She told me that she had been feeling sick to her stomach for the last couple of days. A couple of days is vague, Miss Gray. We work with exact numbers. How many days? Now take it easy, Davidson. She's in shock. This is the best time to push the interrogation. Let me do this. Understood, detective, but I'll chip in when I feel I need to. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, Rachel, tell us, how many days is your mother feeling queasy? Two. You were very worried about her, weren't you? Yeah. Why, Rachel? Because she has had stomach cancer, and the doctors were worried that it might come back even after the chemo. I see. And where was she going? You know, if you had been watching the news earlier, you'd know that the weather reporters recommended that people stay indoors tonight. It's close to zero out there, and dropping. Where did your mother need to go in such a hurry? Easy. She had to go to the grocery store to pick up a few things. She was going to make a cake for one of her co-workers. A cake, huh? What kind of driver was she? A very responsible one. 
She always drove within the limits and slowly in bad weather. Oh, a likely story. Enough. Rachel, we need you to come with us and identify her body just so we're sure. Do you feel up to doing that? I guess so. You sure we should be doing this yet, Manderson? I mean, we're not done here. We'll finish the questioning later. Right now, we need to do this. The chief needs a confirmation tonight. And here we are. Step over here, Miss Gray, and we can get this over with. Please don't let it be her. Well, take it easy. You can have some time to prepare yourself. No, I want this done with. And here the lady is. Mom, no. Davidson, tell me enough out of you. I don't need you making the situation worse. Remember you're a rank detective. Yes, sir. Uh, all right, Rachel. Come with me now. It's okay. You've seen enough. You've seen enough for one night, kid. I was hoping it wouldn't be her like that. Her face all broken like that. Her nose. Make going to be all right. Come on, I'll take you somewhere more comfortable. Davidson, fill out the paperwork and send it over to the chief. We're done here. I'll do that with pleasure, sir. And while you're at it... Look around and find your heart. Put it back in your chest where it belongs. We were so close, Detective. My dad's all I have left now. I wish there was some way I could just bring her back. Take, take it easy, kid. We'll take care of you. Come on. to it. If only I could reach it, I'd be safe. I've almost got you. Please. You didn't save me, Rachel. You got me killed. What a great child you were. Look how you pay me back for all the love I gave you. No, I, I, I didn't. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. Come with me, my love, and we shall rest together in my underworld palace for eternity. Uh, it was 
your fault for letting me die. No, I have come to take you with me, Rachel. Mom, please. Almost got ya. No. All I have to do is put my hands around your neck and drag you down with me. Now you're mine, Rachel. Excuse me, mind if I sit here? Uh, no. I'm Blake. I know. You're new here. You're Rachel, right? Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm not having a very good day. Ah, we all have those sometimes. I'm sorry about your friend Alice. Yeah, me too. She thinks I betrayed her yesterday for not standing up for her. Hey, don't feel guilty. I saw your face. You were understandably confused. You couldn't have done anything else for your friend without looking suspicious yourself. Hmm, true. But why am I boring you with this? Uh, I'm sorry. I'm a good listener. There's something else bothering you, isn't there? Uh, class will start soon. We have five minutes. Tell me. I can help you feel better, Rachel. What? What do you mean? Tell me what happened, Rachel. Tell me what's hurting you so deeply. My mother died in an accident yesterday. She went out to get some groceries and got hit by another car. She's dead. It's not your fault. It was her time to die. You can't twist fate to your own will. Just let the guilt go, Rachel. I can't. It's eating away at my mind, crushing me. What else happened? What are you doing to me? I'm just helping you. Tell me. You're somehow in my mind, you. What are you- Never mind what I'm doing. Just let yourself relax and tell me. The dream. What dream? Swamp. Someone chasing me. Someone not human. My mother in front of me, rising out of the mud, accusing me of killing her, of letting her die. The claws behind me, reaching for my shoulders. Enough! You will let the guilt go, Rachel. Let it slip away from your mind. Yes. Good. That's right. You will not remember this conversation. The only thing you will be aware of is talking to me about your friend and telling me about your mother's death. Mentioning my mom's accident. That's right. Now you will forget. Rachel? Rachel? Rachel, are you okay? What? Oh, must have zoned out or something. I'm sorry. No worries. I'm truly sorry to hear about your mother. Me too. I guess it was her time to die. Well, class will start any moment. Did you do last night's homework? Uh, didn't get to it. I don't blame you. Listen, here's mine. You can copy it if you need to. I think the teacher will understand. Good point. <sighs> this lunch has no flavor. Gross. Hey, Rachel? Mind if I sit here? Alice, no, please do. 
I hope you're not still mad at me about yesterday. I'm sorry I didn't... I'm sorry for yelling at you like that. It's just... Well, you know me. It's not your fault at all. Besides, I've dropped the class. I'm going to take a math course over the summer. That way, I can dedicate myself to the overload of work. Are you taking it at another school or something? What about the honor board? Your expulsion? I think the honor board will take care of it. And besides, something very strange happened today with your math professor. What do you mean? Well, she came up to me and told me that since it was a quiz, she wouldn't push the honor board to expel me. She sounded like she finally learned compassion, you know? Wow, that's hard to believe. And her eyes, they weren't exactly clear. Are you sure? She's always as alert as a lion at night. Tell me about it, but there was something strange about the way she spoke to me. Her voice sounded majorly distracted. She said she would go speak to the honor board right away. I really don't know what got into her. It sounds like she got possessed or something. Well, whatever possessed her did at the right time, because I am really glad I didn't get expelled. I'm happy for you, too. You're taking three classes now or something? Nope. I decided to take an easy elective in math's place. Oh, great. Rach, are you alright? Your eyes are all dark and your face is all pale. You look, like, really bad. I <sighs> couldn't sleep. Why? My mom. She's not back in the hospital, I hope. No. Then what? She's dead. What? You heard me. But how? Accident. She went out to grab some groceries and... But it was freezing out. Didn't you hear the news? I tried to stop her. It's not your fault, Rach. I know. Detective Manderson told me the same thing. They kept you at the station forever, didn't they? After they took me down to the police station, they questioned me a bit. Then I had to identify her body, and then they let me go home. Then I couldn't sleep. I'm sorry, Rach. And here I've been talking about my expulsion and boring you with all these unimportant details. Gosh, I'm sorry, girl. Nothing to be sorry about. It was her time to die. What a thing to say. Who's taking care of you now? I hope you're still not in that house. No, I'm staying with Aunt Rose until Dad gets back. They gave him a call and he's flying in this afternoon. So when he gets back, what are you going to do? Deal with the funeral, then we'll see. I'd like to be there. You're invited. Blake will be there too. Blake, you mean the hot guy from math class? He sits next to me now. Lucky you. Kick me out so he can sit next to you. I see what kind of friend you are. It's not like that, Alice. He has to sit next to me. I didn't impress on him. All right, all right. I was just joking. Sometimes I wonder. Hey. Blake. We keep running into each other. Are you here studying? I guess you could say that. Actually, I was doing a bit of light reading. You call that light reading? It's got to be three inches thick. (laughs) I get through these pretty quick. So, what's your reading? A horror novel. Vampires versus werewolves and all that. Nice. Does it have demons? Not this one. You interested in demons? Well, I guess. I mean, I've been having this recurring dream. About the swamp again? You hit it dead on. I had it again last night. Only each time I have it, there seems to be something that's added to it. What happened this time, Rachel? My mom wasn't in it. Instead, I saw Rachel. She rose out of the mud in front of me. And there was a knife sticking out of her neck. 
She couldn't talk because her vocal cords were cut. Hmm. Curious. Did the demon get closer to you? No closer than usual. Only towards the end of my dream, the green patch in front of me was fading away in the distance. It was getting farther and farther away from me. And I heard screaming. You're screaming? No. I think it was Alice. In her head. As she choked on her own blood. You will let go of your uncertainty. You must feel scared. Let that fear fester inside you. Fear's good. What? What about Alice, Rachel? You saw her yesterday, didn't you? What are you doing, Blake? Get out of my head! Tell me! Was she jealous that I had spoken to you and not her? Yes. She pretended like she was joking, but you could tell that she was jealous. And that upset you, didn't it? Well, a bit. No. It angered you, Rachel. She has no right to be jealous. Besides, it was she who had been with all those guys before. How do you know? It doesn't matter, Rachel. All you feel towards Alice is anger. Yes. Let that anger fester until it becomes hatred. It will keep you strong. Strong. Snap out of it, Rachel. Wh what You zoned on me again. Oh, sorry. Th that's embarrassing. It's okay. Bad night last night? Yeah, just been having trouble sleeping. I'm sure it'll get easier. Hope so. So, did you come in here to do some studying? Yeah, kind of, but I don't really feel like studying. Look, Rachel, I know we've only known each other for a few days, but... Do you want to go see a movie with me sometime? <laughs> that would be fun. Excellent. How about this weekend? That new horror film's coming up Friday, right? Yeah. You're into horror? I love it. It's got demons, I believe. Can't wait! I'll pick you up. Where are you staying? At my Aunt Rose's house. I'll give you the address. My dad's staying at our house for now. He's uh, packing up our stuff. That must be painful for him. Blake? Hmm? Uh, this is kind of an awkward question, considering we don't really know each other that well. But can you come with me to my mom's funeral on Thursday afternoon? It would make me feel... Never mind. Of course I can go with you. Thanks for trusting me enough to invite me. <clears throat> yeah. I am the resurrection and the life, saith the Lord. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Now is the time for anyone to come up and say a few words about Mrs. Gray. My mother was a hard-working, generous single mom. She did her best in life, despite the cancer. She raised me to appreciate life and always look at the bright side of things. She was one of the happiest people I've known. Mom, I'll see you again. And when I do, I know you'll be smiling and proud of me. It's only goodbye for a short while. Thank you. Does anyone else have any further words of farewell? Renee, where's my beloved Rachel, younger sister? are you okay? I will miss you today. Yeah. <clears throat> it's empty, but I'll be alright. Rachel, I'm sorry. Really? I know. Hey, is it okay if I say a few things about your mom? 
I mean, practically grew up with you guys. Sure. Thank you, my son. Are there any other words for Mrs. Gray? Yes, Father. I would like to say something. Then by all means, say what's in your heart. Rachel's mother was like a second mother to me. I'm sorry about all of this, Mom. I'm sorry you had to die so soon. I'll make you proud of me, I swear. Would you like me to stay with you, Rachel? I would love that, but only if you want to. Of course. I have tonight free as it is. Thank you, Blake. It means a lot. Her death was an ironic tragedy. She died in an accident, opposed to getting eaten alive on the inside by cancer. In a way, the Lord did her a favor by taking her quickly. At least she didn't suffer much. Thank you. Thank you, my daughter. Let us commend Anna Gray to the mercy of God, our Maker and Redeemer. Earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. In sure and certain hope of the resurrection into eternal life. So, despite us knowing one another for over a week, I, I barely know anything about you. Not much to tell, actually. I grew up in Chicago most of my life, inner city. It was okay. Did you grow up with your mom? Well, Dad was there for a while, but then when Mom got sick, he was devastated. He couldn't deal with her cancer very well. That must have been almost unbearable for you. It was something I had a hard time accepting. He and Mom would fight about it all the time. He wanted her to get better overnight and stay that way. But you know how it is. She'd get better for a while, and then in the blink of an eye, she'd be sick again. I'm so sorry. If this is too painful, you It's don't... okay, really. You see, my dad left when I was 12, and since then, my mom's raised me on her own. Didn't your father help? Well, I mean, he paid child support for me and all, but he was never really there for me. I think that was the most painful thing about it. My mother was getting sicker and sicker right in front of me, and I had... And you had to deal with it alone. Rachel, I'm so sorry. I'm here for you now. Blake, I don't want pity. No pity involved. I'm just... Thank you. But I don't know anything about you. Where do you hail from? I'm from New York City. This city seems like a suburban town to me compared to the noise and crowds at Times Square at night. <laughs> wow. You don't even have the accent. Guess it didn't stick. What part did you live in? Manhattan. Oh, nice. Took the subway almost every day. I liked living there. You ever been? No, actually. I'd love to go sometime. We should plan a road trip sometime. Times Square is beautiful at night when it's all lit up. It's almost as bright as day. I believe it. Can't wait for the movie on Friday. It's, uh, it's my first date. <laughs> you mean to tell me you've never been in a relationship before? Nope. I'm very surprised. Such a beautiful girl like you. Blake, stop. It's true. I heard it's really good. I don't doubt it. The director came out with a bunch of great pictures in the past. Pictures? You know, movies. I know, but I didn't expect you to refer to them as pictures. Call me old-fashioned, but I like the sound of the word picture rather than movie. You're right. It sounds more authentic that way. I'm closer. Finally! Just a few hundred yards and I'll be there. That luscious patch of green. Oh 
Heavenly Sanctuary. I have to hurry. Now. I'm closer than you think, Richard. No, no. Have your mother with me, and she wants her payment. A life for a life, Rachel. No, it wasn't my fault. I'm coming for you, Rachel. You killed me. For a life. No, please. I'm closer than you think. No. It was only a dream. But the same dream. Why the hell do I keep having it? What's going on? Rachel, your homework. A bit lower than I expected from you. You'll have to put more effort into this class if you plan to get at least a B. I don't mean to cut in, Professor, but Rachel has just lost her mom. I think she deserves some leeway. Of course. I'm so sorry to hear about your mother's loss, Rachel. Don't worry about the assignment. I'll drop the lowest grade. What's wrong with- I have no idea. Have you seen Alice lately? She's missed class all this week. Can't say that I have. Maybe she's sick. Wait, she told me a couple days ago that she dropped this class. Of course. But, come to think of it, I haven't seen her at all lately. (laughs) Will everyone please put everything away? I'm going to pass out your midterm examinations in a few moments. I've got it! Okay, I can do this. Blake, come in. Hey, Rachel. You look wonderful. (laughs) Thanks. Um, you too. You smell nice, too. Um, (laughs) thanks. Should we get going, or would you like to introduce me to your father first? He's not here at the moment. Uh, My aunt's in the basement doing something right now, but I'm sure she'd love to meet you later. All right, then. My car's right out front. You're so quiet. Something wrong? I'm just a bit nervous. I don't bite. See? Yeah. <laughs> the dream, Rachel. Tell me what happened. It... He almost got me this time. It's harder to run. Harder to get to the green. Good. He will have you tonight. No. Please. He will take you to his palace. And there will be no escape. But why, Blake? Why? For my amusement, of course. But before that, I think you'll pay someone a visit. Alice. Yes. Rachel? Hey, are you okay? Oh, sorry. Must have spaced out for a moment again. Nice way to make an impression. (laughs) No worries. I find it kind of (laughs) cute. I find you kind of cute.
Hey, relax. Why so tense? I've never done this before. Done what? <laughs> Been alone with a guy who I'm attracted to before. <laughs> so you think I'm attractive? You're the cutest guy I know. <laughs> okay, maybe that was a little too blunt. Be as blunt as you want. I don't mind. Um, okay. I really like you. <laughs> You're sweet. Now, relax. I won't do anything you don't want me to. Alright? Yes, I trust you. Good. What's the matter, Rach? You've been silent for the past five minutes. Blake just dumped me. What? Wait, you two are going out? We did. On one date. And then he just dumped me. The prick. He didn't even give you a reason? No. Oh well, honey. I'm sorry. We'll go out this weekend. You'll find somebody else. Someone nicer. I think for now, though, I need a hug. Sure. It's gonna be alright. Because this is the only way to make it right. Good, Rachel. Now, dip your fingers in her blood and smear them on the wall. I will. Come on. Come on. Need to move faster. It's coming for me. It's a dream. It's a dream. Can't wake up. Need to wake up. Come on, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. I have to get to the pine grove. I can't run. Why? It's not getting closer. He'll grab me, suffocate me, and drag me into the mud. I can't move. As you all know, 
we have suffered a terrible, terrible tragedy here in our school. Two students, Alice and Rachel, have sadly passed away. The police are investigating what happened. I will now let you all go to the assembly where we will hold a memorial for our students. Their funerals will take place tomorrow afternoon, if any of you wish to attend. Now, before you go, is there anything any of you would like to say about Rachel or Alice? If I may. Of course. Go ahead, Blake. I didn't know Rachel for long. But I knew her enough to say that she was a strong, loving person. And I'll miss her. I don't understand why she killed herself. But I wish I could have been there with her to talk her out of it. Don't blame yourself, Blake. There are a lot of unanswered questions we all must have, but it's the police's job to investigate that. Now, if there are no further comments, you're all free to go to the assembly. Alright then, I'll see you Friday, and remember, there's a quiz on your homework. Oh, great. Here, let me help you. I don't believe we've met. I'm Blake. Marty, nice to meet you. I was Alice's friend. Well, actually, more like acquaintance. I'm sorry about Rachel. Thank you. Uh, here, let me hold on to your stuff until we get to the auditorium, if you don't mind. And that's quite a lot of books for you to carry around. Yeah, being a philosophy major, I'll do that to you. Thanks. No problem. The dream. It will begin tonight. Tonight. The swamp. That's right. Hey, Marty. Are you alright? Oh, sorry. Must have zoned out or something. It's understandable. Should we go? Um, yeah. Sure. The Swamp. Cast List. Tanya Mulevich as Rachel. Amanda Fur as Alice. Richard Garner as Blake. And the Demon. Deborah Adams as Rachel's mother. Carrie Ayers as Detective Manderson and Rachel's uncle. Rish Outfield as Detective Davidson. Julian Bain as the math professor. Lilith Kaisler as Marty. Heather Grady as student one. Music was obtained from gemendo.com. Check the show notes for the individual artists and the song details. The sound effects were self-produced and or obtained from freesound.org. That's the Freesound Project. Please email us a comment or two leave them on the website www.lightningboltheaterofthemind.mypodcast.com or feel free to email us at lightningtheater at gmail.com and theater in both cases is with an er this radio drama falls under the no derivatives non-commercial creative commons united states license and is copyright 2011 to lightning bolt theater of the mind thank you for listening Finally, the route ends tonight with Our Dead Boy, from Devin Morse and James Gregory, who are already, sadly, aboard. Our Dead Boy, written by Devin Morse, adapted from a short tale by Shainer Ula, performed by James Paul Gregory. Statement of John Doe. December 20th, 1847. I will hereby endeavor to delineate the facts of the case with clarity to whom it may concern. One will, understandably, find such a tale fantastic or 
even impossible, the mere ravings of a simple mind under duress. Oh, that it may very well be, and the mind in question would begrudge you not a whit for thinking so. But to that mind, it makes as much or as little sense as does anything in this mad world. The matter began after our son, Nathaniel, at the age of six, succumbed to the consumption. My wife, who, for the sake of privacy, shall hereafter be referred to exclusively as such, was immediately overtaken by, as I dismissed it at the time, maternal grief manifested in queer ravings. Namely, she expressed her wishes to restore vitality to Nathaniel's remains, no matter the means or price. I denounced her notions with an admittedly brusque forcefulness, all the while trying not to impugn the poor melancholy creature in such a way as would drive her to self-harm. But still, she persisted. For the first night she had shown great anguish, such that she kept me awake, blubbering into the late hours about such sentiments as Nathaniel's youthful verve and his fair complexion, the damnable illness which took him, the lament that we were never to see him grown to be a strapping young man, and even going to such blasphemous lengths as to curse the name of God for taking our boy. I told her, sympathetically yet with calculated resolution, that lamenting at all hours would bring us nothing, certainly not sleep. She apologized. I kissed her and smiled, thinking during the ensuing silence that I had put her mind at ease. Moments later, however, she concluded the exchange with mutterings of a singularly equivocal nature. Namely, she hinted at certain measures, and no more description than this, that might alleviate her grief. Perturbed by the suggestion though I was, and inclined to ponder its significance, the chance of sleep was far too enticing an alternative, one which I exploited within the hour. However, after an unknown interval of slumber, I awoke to find that my wife was missing. On the instant, I assumed, I blushed to state, that she had departed to make a nocturnal visit to the latrine, and, unable to return to sleep in her absence, I awaited her return. Several moments passed, and then a half hour, upon which I truly became concerned. Lighting a bedside candle, I entered the hallway and called my wife's name several times, but no reply came. A chill crept over me. I descended the stairs and peered into the parlor while I expected to find my wife kneeling over Nathaniel's body in solitary mourning. From the threshold, where my growing malaise prohibited me from venturing further, I could see no trace of her in the dim candlelight, not even in the vicinity of the shroud lying on the table to which I could scarcely offer so much as glance. In that glance, however, I thought I noticed a peculiar abnormality in the shape and position of the shroud. But grief kept me from closer inspection. Shuddering, I returned to our bedroom, snuffed the candle, and once again awaited my wife in silence, hoping that she had simply gone out for a walk. The first cold rays of dawn had finally broken when I heard stirring downstairs. My ears pricked up, and at length I heard my wife's voice singing a favorite lullaby. Shortly thereafter, as if preternaturally sensing I was awake, my wife called to me. I rushed downstairs on the instant to find her hovering over Nathaniel's body with the shroud thrown back. This fact did not surprise me. 
what did was that some portion of the shroud was underneath the body, as if it had been lifted and then restored. I addressed this and demanded an explanation. My wife stated in quite plain terms that she had taken Nathaniel for a walk in the woods one last time. I strained to remember my exploration during the preceding night, to remember the shape of the crumpled shroud. Had there in fact been nothing underneath? Now that the notion had been introduced, uh, yes, that might have been the case. As if to worsen my consternation rather than abate it, my wife confirmed that their walk had lasted through dawn. Hours later, we held Nathaniel's funeral. My wife hung her head in silence, with only the occasional tear serving as an expression. It was only when the body was interred in the back garden that she, if you'll pardon the expression, came to life. The undertaking was no easy one. My wife made an absolute spectacle of herself, falling in protest and insisting that the burial, I quote, wasn't necessary. I led her inside while the undertaker donned his spade, not allowing her outside until the deed was done. My chagrin was caused less by the outburst than by the sight of her weeping. About a fortnight later, I was called out of town on business matters. I dreaded my return would find Nathaniel's grave exhumed or otherwise molested by my wife, and the outrage that inevitably must follow such a reality. What met my return instead caused me greater outrage still. A collection of men were transporting and installing sections of marble over a recently laid foundation near the border of the woods behind our state. It turned out my wife had contracted, with neither my consent nor knowledge, a funeral home to erect a walk-in mausoleum bearing a single altar slab in the midst. Despite my undying love for our son, this extravagant expenditure was not to my liking. I would just as lief have arranged for his cremation had I known all that was to follow. Nor to my liking was the miasma that affected me when the time came to transfer Nathaniel's body. For, despite being weeks dead, it appeared not to have been longer than a day. None but my wife were present to share with me the horror of the discovery. And she did not. My first intuition was that she took the body to a mortuary for embalming for an advanced class. At no little expense, I feared. But the closest funeral home wasn't for several miles, and the presence of such a place in the woods was a dubious notion. Later inquiries about town revealed that, indeed, no mortuary nor building of equivalent description was known to exist in those woods. My own solace, I therefore attributed the body's uncanny preservation to the frigid winter season. Although that circumstance made even stranger the fact that the body was not cold to the touch, but rather tepid, as if Nathaniel had passed mere moments prior. My wife offered no consolation as she helped me carry the body into the mausoleum and lay it across the altar slab where I shuddered at its inexplicable warmth. There was still no pulse. However, there was a plausible explanation that was too hideous to speak of at the time. I had read rumors of persons outwardly appearing dead, being interred under that assumption, and awakening in a state of sheer terror and panic. They had mistakenly been buried alive. The merest chance that such a horrific scene could play out with our poor son offered me some understanding, and thus consolation. We went back to our respective lives with relative ease, but our life together could never be the same after this aberration. I 
and certainly not after those aberrations to come. The next account of note came a year later. One evening, I retired to my study after supper to delve into a book. I remained lost in its contents for some time when suddenly, as if hailed aloud by the silence, my mind registered that no sounds came from either the kitchen or dining room and, in fact, hadn't for some time. I set down the book to search for my wife. My attention was not long thereafter drawn by a light emanating from within the mausoleum, and then by its open gate, and at once my ire was provoked. I stomped over to its wretched maw, but found I hadn't the fortitude to look, much less venture within. Luckily, it sufficed to chant my wife's name, and hearing it reverberate within the mausoleum's apartment startled me into thinking I perhaps had been too forceful, and quelled the volley of imprecations I had intended to shout after it. Presently, she appeared with a sullen face, apologized, locked the door behind her, and followed me into the house. Only afterward did the fact occur to me. It was on the anniversary of Nathaniel's death. I pressed her little and chided her even less, for my wife has never been known to yield readily to interrogation, and this I knew. Not long thereafter, my wife bore a daughter whose fate, I am happy to report, has been more auspicious than that of her brother. We doted upon this child intensely, having been deprived of that joy in the past year. Upon reaching the age when adequately developed for verbal interrogatives, our daughter inquired of the mausoleum which stood like a polished bone among the otherwise inviting, verdant scape of our near garden. My heart sank, but despite her persistence, our daughter agreed to wait until a later time to hear the truth. Luckily, as far as I knew, my wife's answer kept to the essential facts rather than her own eccentricities. Thus was the horrid building our daughter's introduction to the matter of death. The episode my wife enacted on the one-year anniversary was repeated on the second with the same conclusion. Again, I warily held my questions in abeyance, yet her behavior perturbed me. Was she desecrating our son's remains? Was she exposing herself to the horror of death, possibly even disease, despite her better judgment? Would our daughter likewise suffer for her mother's transgressions? I had to know. Thus, when the episode repeated on the third anniversary, I was able to overcome my trepidation by following my wife into the mausoleum. Partly because I felt further action necessary to end the cyclical nightmare, and partly to satiate my curiosity in full. The answer stirred in me such a species of vexation, astonishment, and horror as I had felt only once before, and once again since. Nathaniel's body had changed. Now I say changed rather than decayed, for of the classic indications of decay, the body showed none. And yet, it had overall undergone an ineffable transformation. The chiefest aspect illustrating this observation was that the facial structure had taken on a more gaunt, masculine complexion. Beyond this, the bodily proportions, such as those relative to the head and shoulders, had likewise metamorphosed, and the fingers, once the plump digits of a child, had become longer and more supple. Whether these changes were merely the minute signs of decay upon an extremely well-preserved cadaver, of which I, at least, was ignorant, or were affected by a less natural force, I knew not and endeavored not to explore further. 
boy's mother was kneeling between me and the slab, holding Nathaniel's hand and stroking it just as she had done during his lifetime. She seemed to pay me no heed. For a long interval, I found myself unable to draw her attention, for the voice had died in my throat. So I simply made my exit and returned to the parlor wherein I desperately sought to obliterate my memory of the disturbing scene aforementioned with a glass of cognac. I wasted no time in meeting with an alienist. I related unto him all the events leading hitherto. But from that testimony, my observations in regards to the state of the body were omitted. He declared that while the behavior was not, by any means, a common manifestation of grief, it could be handled without the need of medical intervention, involuntary confinement. And he advised I should only interfere to that extent my prudence deemed it necessary. He also suggested we move away to an ancestral estate in Europe until her monomania was cured, but circumstances relating to my work prohibited this notion. It put my mind at ease when I prevailed to my wife to finally relinquish, with surprisingly little resistance, the key to the mausoleum. I returned the key some months later, as a token of good faith, but making her promise not to venture inside the mausoleum again. However, that promise was made, in the minds of both parties, I suppose purely on principle, and little concern was held for its enforcement. If she were to break her promise, I would give her a proverbial slap on the wrist. To relegate this document to the subject at hand, it will suffice to say that life in our household proceeded in a manner more or less normal. Our daughter continued to grow and learn of the world. The wilderness behind our house with its rambling brook and the glade beyond was enchanting to the girl child. Seeing its effects on her spirit and imagination likewise enchanted me. On the gayest of days, when the birds competed for an audience and the sod was neither soggy nor parched, in the sky fair our daughter would liken this place to heaven. Once she asked if Nathaniel was in heaven. I left that for my wife to answer. I had no way of knowing, but she might have. That was the last exchange about our dead boy for some time. My foremost objective was to avoid any further conflict. Still, I dreaded the approach of each anniversary. Upon one such sad occasion, she stirred me from my sleep by rising out of bed, but in awaiting her return, I slipped unconscious once more, and thus I was left blissfully ignorant of her absence. But there was one such occasion I could not ignore and that was the ten-year anniversary. I told myself it would be of exceptional import and would stir in me a significant provocation to action. For whatever reason, be it intuition or delusion, if there is a distinction between the two, I felt this occasion in particular would be met by my wife with a course of action more distressing than any before. As a result, I suffered internally that which I dared not betray in words. Every instance of relaxation was undermined by a dread, an acknowledgement of a time that must come and must be faced with a terror unnameable. Periods of repose could not be wholly savored. Even on the best of occasions, this mounting apprehension tightened in my chest and sank my spirits. I knew the feeling exceeded that which was common for mourning parents. A weird, maniacal grief of so singular a circumstance that my peers could without the benefit of experience, 
surely offer but little solace even if I had found the courage to relate it. It, being no choice of my own, felt more than a little unfair. The void created by our dead boy's absence threatened to swallow me up like a pit. On the night before the tenth anniversary, my wife read a bedtime fable to our daughter, tucked her into bed, and joined me in silent darkness. Yet my eyes remained fixed steadfastly upon the wall clock. My composure waned as each successive revolution on the clock's hands brought them closer to midnight, just as if their turning had been that of a garrote stick. I couldn't comprehend how a decade might pass in the blink of an eye only for mere minutes to tick away with the measured, indifferent certainty of a grandfather clock's pendulum. Unreasonable as it might sound, I came nigh upon grabbing my wife, whether she be awake or not, and imploring her to get on with something that had not yet happened. I stayed my hand by convincing myself that such an outburst would prove me mad. It mattered not in the end. The horror a decade in the making was to meet its destined conclusion. In feigned sleep for the entire night. During the small hours, my wife finally arose. I allowed ample time before I crept to the window. Upon seeing the mausoleum gate left open to ghoulish adventure, the perennial medley of emotions, none of which pleasant, welled up in my gut. This time I took a lantern. En route to the front door, I paused only to assure myself that our daughter had not stirred. Then with haste, I reached the open marble threshold, made the sign of the cross, and entered. What awaited me in that house bordered on the phantasmagoric, nay, on the utter nightmare. Right there on the slab before me, lay a form matching the outward description of my long-deceased Nathaniel. There was no mistaking the hair or particular aspects of the countenance, and yet this figure was grown to the verge of manhood. My blood ran cold, and the composure drained from my legs until they could hardly carry me, and yet I managed to turn and exit the mausoleum without stumbling or collapsing. After a few deep gasps of fresh air halted the nausea in my throat and spared me from fainting outright, I peered back into the godforsaken crypt, expecting to see my wife overtaken with a horror equal to or greater than my own. However, she evinced no less common of a humor than serenity. Bordering on outright gaiety, she stroked the body about the cheeks and hair while cooing terms of affection into its ear. I grew somewhat outraged by this reaction, though I cannot at present explain why. It almost felt as if I were the butt of an elaborate prank. I asked my wife if she was complicit in something unnatural and if our boy actually was alive in the flesh. For blasphemous as it may sound, had I known she endeavored to restore Nathaniel to life, I would fain have aided her. In my growing delirium, I can't recall the exact words of her answer, which were equivocal enough, but they were to the effect that our Nathaniel was not alive, and yet his body was not exactly dead. Not dead as we know it, was a phrase I seemed to recall with clarity. She admitted that the real explanation was a mystery even to her. However, at the very least I was able to divine that she had arranged the circumstances which led up to this singular end. Overcoming my initial revulsion, I felt the body for a pulse or any sign of life, but found none. Not even the lukewarm temperature I had observed a decade prior. 
rather than bringing me any measure of comfort. This inspection brought the horrific revelation that it was indeed a human being, or else a replication of such ingenious craftsmanship as to stagger the imagination. I suppose a man of a different mind would have taken the body to a local mortician and requested, nay, demanded an assessment of the situation, or at the very least to present its sole physical evidence to an impartial third party. As for myself, however, fearing the nightmare would be prolonged any further, or would become a thing of a marvelous gossip, or that my wife would endure public ridicule, I immediately resolved to cremate the body right there on its altar slab. My wife quite unexpectedly met the declaration with no resistance, instead showing a disposition of calm resignation, as if lost in some whimsical reverie beyond the capacity for worldly concern. She departed to our house like an angel, leaving me to toil in hell. I can admit without shame that being unexpectedly left to my own devices at so crucial a time nearly paralyzed me. It was not an occasion in which solitude was welcomed, and the atmosphere of horror and dread was so pervasive, so compelling, that it flooded my mind with grim flights of fancy. I half expected the body to rise up and accost me, or to disappear when my back was turned. I had to operate quickly lest I be swallowed up by shadows the lantern sent dancing about the apartment. I was able to pile kindling from the garden under the body and ignite it with the aid of some of my cheaper spirits. Before my very eyes, the ensuing pyre reduced the body to a pile of ashes at a startling rate, a sight which pressed upon me as if, despite being outwardly human, it had but a brittle constitution. With that, I left the fire to rage behind me, hastily made my egress to Nathaniel's mausoleum, and locked it for the first time. In the days that followed, I made inquiries of our neighbors as to whether they had seen any manner of intrusion in the vicinity of our estate, but all averred they had not. The circumstance of my wife emerging from the woods with Nathaniel's body is one that continually vexes me. I have heard by eavesdropping on private grog house conversation, legends of a creed within the realm of pagan magic of certain blasphemous and esoteric rites relating, at least in part, to that old form of spiritualism known as voodoo. Their idol is known only by the appellation Mama Reptile, and is seemingly a character of utmost puissance, venerated or even feared by many. I had always scoffed at the legends, but after the preceding account, my reservations against believing claims of a supernatural nature were greatly diminished. Further, such tales, however dubious, offered to satiate the wandering curiosity which gnawed at the back of my mind. One day I caught my wife off guard by first inquiring, in a deceptively trifling tone, if she had gone to see Mama Reptile the night after Nathaniel's passing, and then whether she was even generally familiar with such a name. And, although her verbal answer was negative, there was no doubt that her abashed expression and reticent speech evinced some measure of recognition. I simply smiled and let the matter rest. The fact of ultimate import is that my wife was forever after content regarding the subject of our son. Every so often I awake at night to find her gone from bed, and sometimes I run to the window in time to observe her walking through the back garden pausing to look at the lonely white mausoleum, and finally absconding dauntlessly into the woods behind our house. And on these occasions, I know better than to follow her.
I fear the dead have little to complain against each other, for they know their eternal hells. Instead, they torture the living for fun, for power, and perhaps for the most damning of all, guilt. Guilt is the poison that keeps anyone hooked to the next moment in cursed hope for redemption that never comes. But I could be wrong, and I'll stay here by the fire in hope of redemption next week, when the terror train screams along the tracks in spectral fury. Until then, my friends, good night. The Transcontinental Terror is the seasonal anthology series from the Mutual Audio Network and contains stories and frights from a variety of the world's leaders of audio drama, spectral sound, and tales of terror. See you next time on the Transcontinental. Have your tickets ready. It's bound to be a bumpy ride. Feed so you don't miss a day of your favorite shows. Subscribe to Mutual Audio tonight. Good night.